Pastor Phil and Sister Kim Darnell. These are precious people of God, dear friends of ours, like family to us. And I think back to way back in the day when we first connected and then had an opportunity to continue having fellowship and the times of fellowship that we've had. Brother Phil Darnell is multi-talented. One of his great talents is his ability to cook. He's a tremendous chef. As a matter of fact, he's the Missouri District Chef, and we are excited that he does that. That's wonderful when he prepares that kind of food. But even more than that, he is a seasoned pastor who has a vision and a passion for the kingdom of God. Maybe he'll tell you more about it. They have a daughter work. Uh, in Cahoka and uh, matter of fact the, the Johnsons were just gone not long ago to minister in their assembly and ministered there and, and has a vision of people being connected to Christ people of every walk of life I thank God for men of God that love God and love people and we are blessed to have my friend brother Phil Darnell to share the word of the Lord come take your liberty share with us today what the Lord's given you may be seated. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. As he mentioned, your pastor is a one of my best friends in the district. Um, Brother Don Sheeran was one of the first people in the district as I got started in ministry to reach out to me and connect with me, and I have always appreciated and will continue to do so, appreciate his friendship and everything he's done for me. He's given me a lot of opportunities over the years, and I appreciate the Sheeran family. Um, also, as he mentioned, it's good to be here with my good buddy, Chris Johnson. Chris is, uh, he's a prince among men. He's a good man, friend of mine. And every time we have him up there in Canton and Cahoka, he has blessed us. He is a good man of God, and I'm, I'm privileged to call him my friend. It, it feels good to be here today. Um, this church, when I'm when I'm looking, it doesn't look a lot different than Canton. I, it, it, there's there's some similarities. Sure, you guys got different carpet, different pews, things like that. But uh, the the essence of church is still there. The that important part, the you know, the presence of God in the house, the 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 how people are interacting with each other. You can tell that this is an apostolic church. As a kid, I, I attended church as, as a little boy. It started at nine years old when my, my, my family started going to Life Tabernacle in Canton. And, and uh, there were some things there that were predictable. Um, you guys, how many in here, you remember Bishop Kenny? I know he's been here and preached for you guys. Uh, Brother Kenny is is my pastor, the one that uh, essentially raised me. And, and when going to church at Life Tabernacle in Canton, there were just some things that you could guarantee you could bank on it every Sunday. Um, there was a small rotation of choruses, and, and, and you know we had the Pentecostal praises handbook. Some of you might remember those. And song service, you know, it was kind of set up somewhat like this. And Bishop would be over. On, on the organ, and, and, and he, would, he would be, if you've ever seen him play, I mean, he's bouncing around on those keys, and, and like back then, it was, it was old school Pentecost, and he'd be bouncing around, he'd be, to all of us, you know, telling us, it's time to sing, 
and, and, and uh, we, we, if we knew it was good for us, we would be singing. Um, and then his sister, Trish, who was one of my Sunday school teachers, she didn't yell at us, but she was on the piano. Uh, she didn't yell at us unless we acted up in Sunday school. And then we had two song leaders back then, and that was Rick and Kelly, and they would lead songs, but they were so fresh as far, you know, they weren't seasoned church members. And so they'd be told to lead service, and they'd be looking over at Bishop, and he's like, you're in charge, you know. And it was just that, that whole dynamic there. It was kind of comical, and I look back on it now, and it's, it's funny, but I was blessed to be a part of, of that church. Um, someone, here's the best part. Some of you are going to get what I'm talking about, but the, we had an overhead projector, and I don't mean like that. I mean, we had the, the machine with the big net that come up and the bulbs and the little clear transparencies, and, and we'd have a chair that would sit down there, and that thing would sit on the, on the floor of the platform and cast up on the wall, and, and usually it was Sister Karen or Sister Francis, and they would uh, they'd, they'd file through, find the right song, put it up there, and then uh, it would only change as long as nobody got lost in, in the spirit, and uh, you had the words on there. It was, it was great. Um, Bishop would eventually, after song service was over, he would get up and he would preach, and uh, Bishop is a preacher. It was a message full of conviction and full of the gospel, even the hard parts, even the parts that sometimes we don't like to hear. And, and then after that, after, after that part was over, he would give uh, an altar call and Trish would most likely be playing the piano. And I think she had about three songs that she would play for altar call. And then we would all get a chance to come up, uh, find our place at the altar and make things right with the Lord and, and further and, and, prog- and have progress in our relationship with God. And it was, it was some uh, great opportunities. The song service could be Fast or slow, it could be hopping and pew jumping or slow and steady. However, the altar call was usually a handful, as I said, just a handful of songs. And I, I, I still remember most of them. Yeah, like, sure. we go to camp meeting and, and some of the songs I don't know, but then when it's offering time and they play that older one, because of how I grew up, I know that song. And uh, one, one of the songs that comes to mind that frequently that I can still hear Trish singing, it, it, I, in my head, I can still hear the tone of her voice as she would sing, and I'm not going to do that today. I'm not, I'm not a Sister Shay by any means. I am not going to sing at all, um, at least not by myself. Um, but she would sing the song, Above All Else, I Must Be Saved, a very simple chorus. It wasn't fancy by any means. It wasn't fancy. But as a teenager... Uh, at a time where I was living in a life of sin, my back turned to God that was desperately trying to get my attention. It was one of those songs that would stick with me. It was one of those songs that, that when I wasn't at church, when I was sitting at home and, and, and I was involved in things I shouldn't have been in and, and I was, I was, you know, just lost. I don't know how many in here remember what it was like to feel lost, but you know, a decade out, I still remember what it's like to feel lost. I don't ever want to walk away from this and be lost. But she would sing the song, and it's very simple. It would say, above all else, I must be saved. Above all else, I must be saved. Again, I'm not singing it for you. 
And then this line, this line, it, it was always that, it, it was the, the deal maker. Lord, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. Above all else, I must be saved. It is a simple chorus, but a prayer I prayed as a kid that wasn't sure if he was ever going to make it back. I can still hear the sounds from the old piano and Trisha's voice through the microphone as she again sang a message of salvation after Bishop with a heartfelt message from God. And the reminder of that song, the reminder that nothing nothing else, nothing else in my life, nothing that I could do, not whether or not I, I, I had a good job, not whether or not I had a big bank account, or if I had a degree, or if I had a nice house, or if I drove the right car, none of that stuff ever mattered. Above all else, I must be saved. We'll go to James chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another brethren. Uh, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Uh, who art thou to that judgest another? Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. James is telling us some very simple truths here. Number one, he's telling us to be humble. And number two, uh, the same message that Bishop has preached to me for probably close to four decades now. Keep your mouth shut. Even James was dealing with liars and gossips, you know. It, it just happens. And then number three is life is short and invest in what counts. I am, I am somewhat of a reader. I like to read books and, and, and study those things. And one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. Some of you might know him because of Chronicles of Narnia. He's got way better books out there than that. Uh, one of my favorites is The Great Divorce, and he's, he has this quote in that book that has always stuck with me. It says, if we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. If we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest, most intimate souvenirs of hell. And it's a, it's a powerful statement when, when you think about it. He says, if we, if we choose heaven, we cannot... Hang on to even the smallest, most... I don't look at hell and think, oh, that, they have great souvenirs. But when I look at the shiny stuff that the world has to offer, there's a lot of souvenirs that just, they hinder my walk with God. What if, what would happen if we took the passage that I read out of James and that understanding about those souvenirs? What, what if we... What if we took that and we realized that our life is very short? As James says, it's just a vapor. It's, it's, a, it's very small. When you take our life, you know, you think, you know, what's, the average lifespan is, is like, uh, what is it, like 78 years for, for women and 72 for men. I mean, when you think about that, uh, that seems like a long time. Uh, when you're a teenager, 72 seems like a long time. When you're 65, it doesn't seem so long anymore. I mean, if we're being honest. 
but if we, if we look at this, if we have that understanding that our life is a very short time when compared to eternity, a very literal forever, what would happen if we understood that? I, I, I'm going to tell you today, if you're in this house and you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name or received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have no other pursuit in your life that is that important. You have nothing else to follow, nothing else to do but that. Because above all else, I must be saved. Flee from sin today, turn to God and let him save your life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to tell you, I've learned some things over the years. I'm glad that I had a very patient bishop so that I'm able to learn, but... Uh, there, there, there are so many things, so many distractions that stand in our way. You know, we, we'll come to church on Sunday morning and we'll feel the presence of God and we'll think, well, that's good. That's, that's, that's what I need right there. You know, I, I'm good to go. And, and, then, and then we get out and then as soon as Monday morning hits, you got work, you got school, you got all these different things to contend with. We got to pay the bills. We got to pay the mortgage. Got, you know, all these things to take care of. But there are so many things that stand in our way. The writer of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin that stops us. And then we look at Jesus with a laser focus and head toward the finish line. You know, he, he, in that passage, he calls out sin. And we'll, we'll go back to James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When we walk into sin, it tangles throughout our life and maintains this stranglehold on our existence until we finally realize how powerless we are and we call on Jesus. Sin has the same price tag and the same reward every time. It will cost you everything you have and the end is always destruction. I'm pleading with you right now today. You know, we have this Sunday school and and then we're going to have worship service and then your pastor is going to get up and, and preach a message. I'm asking you today to to consider walk away from sin choose Jesus choose the freedom that is in Jesus Christ that passage that I read in Hebrews it also tells us to lay aside every weight and and, and I'm going to I'm going to follow the old preacher tradition here and we'll talk about marathon runners You, you ever seen the beginning of a marathon I've seen one I've never been in one I mean no but they'll have the right clothes on. You know, they'll have the right shoes on. You know, everything is ready to go. And, and when they get up that morning and they're getting ready to run 26 miles, they can eat whatever they want to for breakfast. You know that there are no rules on what a marathon runner can have for breakfast before he runs that race. But I'm, I'm willing to bet that that they don't get up and eat a box of Walmart donuts like I have before. 
I'm just betting you that that marathon runner didn't get up and say, man, I need 12 glazed donuts to eat today. I shouldn't eat 12 glazed donuts either, but I'm not running a marathon. It wouldn't be wrong for him to do so or her to do so. It wouldn't be sinful for them to eat that box of donuts. I don't think so anyways. But it seriously would mess up the race that they'd been training for. Imagine spending days and weeks training for this race only to get up, eat a breakfast, and ruin it and not be able to run. Why can't we see this part in a spiritual sense as Christ followers? We have a race to run. Both Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews tell us that life is simply a race to be run. It's not for the fastest, but it does require discipline and consistency. Why, knowing we have but one goal in life, do we get caught up with a box of donuts? We get caught up on things that don't matter. We get caught up in things that, that when, when you look at the whole picture, that's a very small aspect and it's not really worth your time. But as human beings and, and our finite ability to think things through at times, we can get caught up in these frivolous pursuits. These, and they're not sins, they're just weights. They're slowing you down. I've been in my position since 2018, and I can tell you I've become a whole lot more aware of those weights that just get in the way. I had a friend, his name was Max. Max was probably one of my best friends at the time. And uh, he was a very successful man. Uh, He was one of those guys that if he reached out and touched it, it would turn to solid gold. I never had that, that kind of talent. But Max, he would go job after job. You know, he, he graduated college with, with a bachelor's degree. And from there, you know, he, he started working in the nursing home industry and then ended up being a nursing home administrator. He didn't like that, so he became a realtor. And like everything he did, he was successful at. And I remember we were up in, up in Canton and, and we were talking. He's like, hey, I, I got to tell you something. I'm, I'm moving away. And I was really bummed because, you know, we hung out quite a bit. We, you know, went fishing together and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and uh, he decides, you know, it's time to move. He's got a job in, in the Springfield area, uh, and he's going to move down there and be a nursing home administrator, I think. I said, that's awesome, man. He, you know, he's going to make quite a bit of money. I said, what about church? I haven't found one yet. I'm looking. I was like, well... I know of several in that area, depending on where you're going to live. I can make some recommendations. He goes, yeah, he says, he says, me and Haley, we're going, we're going to find one. We're, you know, we're looking. We're going to find a good church. And, and he, he, you know, just kind of blew it off and went down and tried one place, wasn't quite what he wanted, tried the next place, wasn't quite what he wanted. And then, you know, because he just wasn't sure about that, well, let's try this, this, this church over here and, and then I hear from him, and it starts to get a little bit less and less that I hear from him. And uh, come to find out, he had the job figured out. He had the house figured out. He had daycare figured out. He had all that stuff done. 
but he had no idea what, what church he was going to go to, and eventually that lost importance in his life. I don't want to lose the good stuff, the permanent stuff, the forever, the eternity, because I had a good job offer, or because I could make a little more money, or because I could acquire this college degree, and those things aren't bad, but don't let them become a weight that takes you out of the race. Above all else, I must be saved. I mentioned earlier, I, I, I spent some time away from God in my younger life. It was the worst time of my life. It was during that time that, that your pastor made me leave camp one year and then kicked me out of camp. Have him tell you that story someday. Obviously, because I'm standing up here right now, you know I made it back. I didn't think that that was going to happen back then. I moved away for a while, moved up to northern Iowa. You know how they say John the Baptist was on the backside of the desert, Jonah was in the belly of the whale? I went to northern Iowa. When you wonder what's up there, I'm going to tell you, nothing. It's snow, it's cold, and in the summertime it's corn. That's it. That's all you need to know. But I moved away for a while, I got married, I started a family, and I was still miserable. In the time that I was gone, uh, my daughters, Olivia and Jenna, were born. They're 13 months apart. Um, that was not planned. Olivia was born 9-29-04. I remember holding her in my arms for the first time that morning, and I wish that Olivia was here so you could see her. She's absolutely beautiful. Um, but I, I mean... I'm not a small guy, but she was really tiny, and I held her just about like so, and one leg was just kind of dangling down, you know. She, and uh, I realized at that point, when, they, when that doctor placed that, that kid in my arms, I, I knew right then I was a mess. I was worthless. The, the feelings that flooded over me when I held my baby girl for the first time it let me know I had to get things fixed. It was time to stop messing around and stop with the sin business, stop with all the other stuff and make things right with God because now not only did I have to get me and my wife where we needed to be, but I had a little girl that was depending on me and I didn't want her growing up and living the same way that I did. I didn't want her to have the same generational garbage that I was dealing with. I didn't want her to have all that other stuff and so I had to get it fixed and I had to get it fixed right now. The problem is, is even though I've been going to church since I was nine years old, I had walked away long enough. I didn't know how to get it fixed. So I went out that day. I mean, it was literally, they, I, I gave them back the baby. I left that hospital and I went to the local community college and I signed up. It was the only thing I could think of to make life better. I, I, had, to, I had to go to school. And, and, and you know, school's good, but school didn't help with all the other things that were going on in my life at that time. Jenna, my second one, she was born 11-11-05, and the pressure was amplified. I had two kids in diapers, and I needed to do something to provide for them, but also I had to do something that was productive with my life. I soon came to the realization that I was pretty powerless to change it. I tried new jobs. I tried to make more money. I tried to do whatever I could think of to fix it. And I wasn't going to go back to church for multiple reasons, but God was not in the picture at all. I just knew 
when I held those babies, I didn't want to be a loser dad. I was broke. I was broken. And I was hurt. I don't have time today to tell you all of the story, but we were in a place, my wife and I, we were in a place that all those valuable things that we were able to acquire, we had good jobs at the time, and as everything began to fall apart, we lost our home, we lost our fancy vehicles, we lost everything that we had. I remember driving from northern Iowa back to Canton in a 1991 Dodge Caravan that didn't have a muffler, it had glass packs instead. I'm going to tell you, it was as redneck corn-fed as it gets right there. <laughs> Pulling this homemade trailer with a broke-down Salvation Army couch on the back of it. I mean, it was, it was bad. At least I thought so back then. I was like, this is what my life has come to. We played around with life, and we made a big mess. And in the process, we ended up with two more mouths to feed. I decided to do the only thing that I knew I could do. I came home, and I had a pastor that always took time and helped me straighten out my life. I found out, I found out that Jesus really did have room at the table for me. I don't know how many others in here, but at front, like 9 to like 15, I would sit there and I would watch as everybody would get a touch from God. And I'm like, I don't feel this. I'm not sure about this. I don't trust this. And I would sit back there with my arms folded looking and thinking, God doesn't have room for somebody like me. With my family history, with the things that I went through, with the things that I was involved in, God doesn't have time for somebody like me. And then I found out, I moved home in 2006 in August, and I, and I go out and I would stand at the fence post between my house and Bishop's house, and, and we would stand there and have a talk. And he would tell me all the time, Phil, Jesus has room for you. And I'm like, I don't know, we'll see. If it ever happens, I'll let you know. And then it was 2006, it was December, it was with a preacher I didn't even like, and sometimes to this day I still don't like him, but uh, he was preaching this message about grace, and I'm like, I don't want, I, I was sitting in a church service, I was mad, and, and, and I'd just gotten a fight with my wife, and, and, and anybody in here, you, you know, if you get in a fight with your wife before church, you're not getting a touch from Jesus that night. <laughs> and I'm sitting there on the back row, and I'm sitting there, I, I, I'll show you. It, it looked something like this. I was skinnier back then, though. But I'd sit there, arms folded, and I had no intention of letting God touch me. The only reason I was there is because in my rental agreement with, with Bishop, I had to go to every church service. Otherwise, I would have skipped. <laughs> Jesus wasn't going to touch me after all anyways. I got in a fight with my wife. And so I'm sitting there like that, and then the Lord speaks. He says, hey. He says, you hear him talking about grace? And I'm like, I don't have time right now. And he says, hey, that's what I did for you. I got, I got room at the table for you, too. I started, I was a real man, so I don't cry, but I started sweating from my eyeballs, like, uncontrollably. The only person that saw me back there was Bishop, and he come back, sat down next to me, put his arm around me, and again, rolling through my head, above all else, I must be saved. The Lord made room for me. I shouldn't say it that way. He didn't make room for me. He had room for me. He already made room back on the cross. It was a beautiful start that night in 2006. But I don't look like I did back in 2006. I don't operate like I did back in 2006. We have a race to run in this life. And above all else, you must be saved. Above all else, men, if you've got a family at home, above all else, your job is to get saved 
and then take your family with you and do everything you can to be honorable. Ladies, pray for your husbands. I'm not the pastor. I'm going to shut up and keep going here. What if I would have stayed on the starting block that night? Long after the call was given, what if I would have just stayed right there, you know, back few? I could have been a faithful saint. I could have done so many things. Why do, when we have to run a race, do we hang around the Gatorade coolers instead of running with every bit of passion that we have? What if you came to church on a Sunday morning and it wasn't just to fill some quota of church services that I get to get, but I'm, I'm here today because I got to worship God and I got to do it fervently and I got to do it with passion because I know that on Monday morning I'm going to take the Jesus that I get a hold of on Sunday. I'm going to take it to work with me. I'm going to tell everybody that I know about it because why? Because they need to know because right now they're living in the same sin that the Lord brought you out of. I believe, I believe that the Lord wants us to progress, to move, to lay aside the weight and sin that keeps making us sluggish. Above all else, I must be saved. I, I, I still, still, every time I, I can hear Trish singing that song, above all else, Lord, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. That's my prayer today, and it's my prayer for my wife, for my kids, is Lord, whatever you got to do, we got to be saved. You come to my house. It's nothing fancy. You come to my church, it's nothing fancy. It's not, things aren't perfect there. T- things aren't perfect because people are involved. But, but, but I, I'm not so high and lifted up in this that I've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Here in just a few minutes, yep, like three minutes, here in just a few minutes, we're going to start a worship service. And then your pastor's going to preach. And then you're going to have an opportunity to come to this altar. And when you do, just asking you to consider it. Lay aside those things. You know. And when I say that, when I say that, we all have those things that start to pop into our head, man. You know that the Lord's been speaking to you long before you ever got here today. Please, lay those things aside. You know, take the message that's preached and run with it. Run with it with every bit of intensity that you possibly can. You can. Run with it. Let's all take just a few minutes. Let's stand today and let's worship the Lord together. Lord, I thank you for your touch. God, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that you had a place at the table for me. God, I thank you. That, God, I, I thank you for what you've done for me today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Above all else, I must be saved. I, I wonder if we might just sing that song right now. I must be saved. I want us to think about what we've just heard and act upon that as we talk to the Lord. Above all else, I must be saved. For